one proverb equal to today's date, right? So today being the third, I picked verses 11 and 12. You're going to get two. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Okay, that's the one we want to kind of pass over sometime. You know, I want to, I want to say um, tonight's service is going to be maybe a little different than you'd expect for Good Friday, and I hope that I'm not in trouble with you afterwards, okay? So you may have come expecting something. Um, I mean, I know the typical is, is it's somber on Good Friday because that's the night where we say, okay, this is the anniversary of this terrible evening, this terrible time that the Lord had on the cross. And, um, and in the past, our services have been um, as uplifting as we could make up in context. You know, we've taken time to go through the seven sayings of Jesus on, on the cross. We did that last year. And we've taken time to walk through the different stations of the Passion. And we've made them relevant and meaningful. And, um, and, 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 and I, I get it. The Good Friday is about the terrible price that Jesus paid to uh, pay for my sins and yours. I, I get that. I know you do too. And uh, we always, you know, we've always done this this typical thing for Good Friday and then celebrate on, on, on Easter Sunday morning. Tonight, I want to take a view, take this on a, maybe of a slightly different viewpoint. Okay, so if this stretches you, I'm sorry. If this makes you angry, my email address is Eric at Crossroads Four Square. <laughs> um, Tonight, so in different, but, but first I want to talk about a, a couple of things. Um, one of them is this. I, when I think about the big human achievements that have happened since humans have walked the earth, I think I have been alive during the biggest, the single biggest human achievement. And um, I mean, this is my opinion. Culture, when I grew up, was all about space. I mean, cars back then had great big fins on the back because it would look more spacey. And some of them had bullet holes in the side and, and everything was about space, TV, everything about space, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are too young and saying, yeah, we've heard of space. There's a lot between your ears, Terry. You should move on. But it captured the hearts. The idea of space captured the hearts and the imagination of our population. It really did. And, and um, when I was just a little boy, I would get up regularly to watch what we called Blastoffs, okay? Remember what a blastoff was. Now we have a way more sophisticated term. But I would get up early in the morning to watch these, these wonderful blastoffs coming 10, 9, 8, you know, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And as a little guy, it was so hard to get up early and watch those things, but they were pretty important to me. And uh, they were important to our country. In fact, the Apollo program in today's dollars spent a little over 200 billion dollars. It wasn't that much back then, but if it was translated to today's dollars, that's how much it cost us to do the moon program. And NASA employed over 400,000 employees, 400,000 to make that happen. And uh, they involved over 20,000 individual firms and universities to figure it all out. It was a pretty big undertaking by our our country. And on the night, um, one July evening in 1969, over 600 million. 600 million people turned their TVs on all at the same time to watch the moon landing. What, a, what an amazing thing. I mean, I remember coming in out of playing on that, that coming in for us. My parents said, hey, it's coming on. Come, you better get in here. It's going to be on TV. And watching that landing was just amazing. Don't you remember? Some of you remember that. It's like, this is not just make-believe. This was an amazing thing to watch the, the first human being leave our planet and walk on a different body in heaven. In the heavens, it was it was such a thing. 
And my heart that night was just, I mean, as a little guy, I was just awestruck. What a huge achievement. In fact, I think culture basically says that landing someone on the moon was probably the greatest technological achievement in mankind's history. That's an opinion. You may not feel that way. And I can still sense that awe. And although that is huge, maybe you've got another achievement that's huge. I don't know. I mean, that you can think of. But pick any human achievement that's huge. They still shrink down to really insignificant in comparison to what was accomplished on that night on the cross. Just pale. I mean, we've spent time in past Good Fridays and even on Sunday mornings, and maybe you've studied sometime the, uh, the terrible physiological and mental torture that being on the cross represented for, for the Lord. And um, the Romans had perfected that technique and that torture. I mean, they really knew what they were doing, and they were very, very sadistic about it. And Jesus knew what he was facing that night was going to be very, very, very difficult. He knew that. And of course, you know, any, any human being would recoil at the thought of facing what he faced that. And they would, but, but nevertheless, Jesus' words were, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And uh, I, I really believe that that phrase represents a truth, and that is this, that Jesus and the Father were in absolute and complete perfect harmony on what was going on that day. After the crucifixion had ended, and um, you know, some time had passed, now not very much time, Peter was now explaining to these crowds about what had happened. Okay, we're now moved on past Good Friday and past the resurrection, and, and all these crowds are gathering, and Pete's talking to the crowds, and he's explaining to them, and we see a little bit of this described in, in Acts chapter 2, and we'll pick up there, and Scripture's going to be on the wall. Uh, verse 23 says, Jesus was, he's talking to them about what had happened. He said, Jesus was handed over to you, to you people, by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a second. Deliberate and he was handed over. How is it that the Son of God was going to actually die on a Roman cross that was actually designed for political prisoners? The Son of God? Come on, I mean, this... I mean, how is it that God would permit that kind of evil? I mean, the crucifixion of Jesus, at least from human eyes, kind of looks like the culmination of God's greatest failure. He's hanging on a cross. Is this the sign of God's worst defeat? I mean, is this, is this some kind of evidence of God going down in flames? I mean, <laughs> what's going on? No, no, this is not evidence. This is God's intentional plan, plan that he had from the very foundation of time. Scripture tells us this was not a reaction in heaven to, God, to, to man's failings and what was going on on the earth. This was not that. Instead, this is something way different. And uh, Peter's talking to the crowd, and he goes on to say, you know, it was God's deliberate plan of foreknowledge. Some of you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So Peter lays out this charge and that's where our hearts take us on Good Friday because, you know, as sure as if we had been there with hammers ourselves, as if we had nailed him to that cross with our sins, my sins. 
And, but yet Jesus was really focused. He was, he was focused. He was on task that night. He said, and he, this is a quote from John 12, 27. He said, for this purpose, I came for this hour. For this purpose, he came. And in those last words that Jesus had on the cross, you can get an idea. The last things he said to, to Father, to, to God, would give an indication of what the two of them were really focused on. Because at this point, they're hooked up. They're, they're focused. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus says the words on the cross, to Telestai, to Telestai. Your translation says, it is finished. Um, literally, it means... It's talking about a specific goal that is utterly and completely finished, to die. In fact, that was what would be written on a, a business document that would be the equivalent of paid in full. It's finished. It's taken care of. It's done. We're, we're done with this. What was finished? Well, it wasn't that his life was finished, and it wasn't that, oh, this difficult day is finished. That's not, those are true, but that's not what was, what was being discussed there. What was to tell us, what was paid in full, what was finished, was the purpose that I came to this hour. That's what Jesus is talking about. So now, what's the father thinking in this moment? And this was the bee in my bonnet. What's the father thinking at this moment? I can't believe what you did to my son. Look what they did to my... Is that what you think they, he, was, he was thinking? I mean, it would be... That's one acceptable perspective because there's got to be some of that because the veil was torn and the skies went dark and all these things. It was obvious that, that heaven wasn't happy about the way his son was being treated. And I think that's an accurate reflection of what heaven was thinking in some perspectives. But at the bottom line, what was the father really, really thinking? And that's the bee that got in my bonnet about tonight. I mean, I think it's okay for us to be somber because the price was terrible and, and we recognize that in the cost. But I think that heaven was, I think there might have been something else going on there too. Just my, just my opinion. Because maybe there was also something between the father and the son of pleasure. Maybe there was a sense of accomplishment there. Maybe a sense of huge, major, big time, major league accomplishment there. Maybe earth-shattering, the biggest accomplishment in all of creation ever kind of achievement there could be. I think so. This was not just an accomplishment by Jesus, but also by the Father. I mean, what was there in the entire universe that was more valuable to the Father than the Son? What was there more valuable to him than that? I mean, when was God's, the father, when was God's love greater for his son than when he was paying that terrible price? I, I, I just can't think of it. And I think, you know, this innocent victim served up to pay the price of the sins of mankind. I, I really think that the father had no greater, more valuable gift to demonstrate his love to you and to me than the son that he gave to us. And that's exactly what he gave to us, his best gift. And I would never, I know we would never minimize the terrible price that was paid for us. But in the moments of Jesus' greatest accomplishment, our purchase, his focus, and the Father's focus, I really believe, was not on the price. I believe their focus was on the prize. 
And that's you. And that's me. You are the prize. The cross is the place of God's turnaround victory. It's, it's, it's where God's love sings loudest and brightest about his love for you and for me. God reverses the outcome of, of earth's most <laughs> darkest human tragedy. And the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know, this might seem really carnal and wrong. <laughs> I don't feel like, but I feel like in those moments, the Father, although the veil ripped and although it got dark on the earth, I feel like there was something in the Father's heart that was going, yeah! <laughs> I mean, I think he and Jesus were going, that hurt, but yeah! You get it with me? And so I thought to, for tonight that I would spend just a few minutes, and I'm done, really, talking about that night, but to say, let's, for, for at least this year on Good Friday, let's do, yeah! <laughs> sorry, okay, I'm sorry. But it's in me. Let's do that. You can be somber, and it's really okay. And I hope I haven't spoiled this for you, and I hope you're not mad at me. But I just... Wanted to do this one differently this year. And so, um, you know, in John 6, 35, here is Jesus talking to them. And these are the words of Jesus. He says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. This is Jesus saying, I'll save anybody and everybody who comes to me. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up that last day. I want to be on that list. <laughs> I'm on that list. I think probably most of you are too. And if you're not on that list, it's a simple thing. Here are the words of Jesus, the creator, the one who resurrected himself out of that grave. I'm not supposed to talk about that till Sunday, right? I don't want to steal Sunday's thunder. But listen, he has authority over your forever. And if you are here and you have never said, I want to put my hands and my trust into the one who oversees life and death, which, by the way, that's the wise place to put your trust. If you've never done that before, I encourage you to do that right now. Just right now, say to the king, I'm going to pray, but say to the king, I'm, I want to hand this over to you because I don't have authority over resurrection and you obviously do. Be my king, be my savior. It's as simple as that. Not joining a church, nothing else. Just saying to the king, I give you my life. If you've never done that before, I encourage you to do that. And um, we're going to receive communion now. Communion is an outward demonstration Great, come on and serve those. And they're gonna they're gonna bring the elements when they come. Take them, hold on to them, and we'll take them as a group, okay? But communion 
is not just a tradition that the church does. This is one way for you to say to people, to outward saying, hey, I've opened my heart to the king and I know where I'm going to be in eternity. This is your testimony. So let's go ahead and pass out the elements and just hang on, okay? Hang on to them. I need to get in on this. down with them and he explained and there was some symbol symbology involved and but he was explaining the concept that if you I, I got it thanks thanks Tom that if you are my disciple if you have put your trust in me for eternity you're going to let me in there you're going to let me in in all that I am and the two elements the bread represents his broken body the price he paid for you and for me. And the cup represents his shed blood. Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. This is representative of the most precious element that's ever existed in all of creation, and that's the blood of our Savior. And by receiving communion, you're basically saying, okay, I'm one of the king's children. I've opened my heart to the king. everybody has an element now. So I want to pray over the bread. Hold your bread before the king. You're, you're, you're in. Let's just... No, we're not quite there. Lord, I want to thank you tonight that on a terrible day in your life, you loved me so much that you pressed past. You pressed past all of all of that challenge and you didn't resist and you didn't jump off of that cross that love held you there because you loved me so profoundly. Thank you, Lord, for your broken body. We receive it now in the name of Jesus. Go ahead and partake the bread. just obeying your command, but we gladly remember, we gladly appreciate. Gratitude is in our souls. Gratitude is in our hearts. We're grateful, Lord, this night that you loved us so deeply. Lord, I know it's not any religious act like receiving communion that saves us. It's representative, Lord, of the fact, though, that we put our trust in you. We do that, God. Thank you for salvation. We receive it now. Go ahead and church. 
now, Lord, we're going to worship you. We're, we're going to do the things that our body will let us do tonight. We're going to, we're going to sing. Our heart is going to posture itself in a place of love and adoration. Because you deserve it. Because you accomplished it that night. And so it's after you we pursue. It's after wholeness and healing and love and relationship, God. So we will worship you tonight and we ask God you be glorified. We thank you, Lord, for the price you paid. And we say be glorified, most high God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Would you stand and let's worship the King. Crowned in glory to glory. said it is finished that was it there was no more so lord we sing this song 
declaring that, but also recognizing that you are the final word, that on that day, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we choose to do that now in your precious name. Let's sing the storm rises. The storm rises from the deep and rages around me. But I will remember, I will remember. When doubt pours within my heart, the battle's almost lost.
stands through the ages. Your voice shatters the darkness. In you, we are more than conquerors. Let the saints proclaim your word. Your name overcomes the enemy. In you, we are more than conquerors. Let's sing your word. It stands with her. Your word stands to the ages. Your voice shatters the darkness. In you, we are more than conquerors. Let's run to speak, to speak. Stronghold surrender. Your name overcomes the enemy. In you, we are more than conquerors. Just give him praise, church.
tendency, like most human beings, to drag your Old Testament theology with you into New Testament days. I mean, how hard do you want to make it for God to save you? I want to read you a passage, okay? Some of you sharp people will know where this is from, but let me read it to you. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Does that sound like the Old Testament to you? That's the Old Testament. I chuckle because we know that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the heart of God to forgive our sins was present. The plan with Jesus was present right there in Psalm 105. But that might be 102. It's somewhere in Psalms. <laughs> I don't mean to minimize the address. It's important. I just want to say to you, let that be the benediction over you tonight. That the Lord loves you so much. How far is east from west? That's how far his, he wants to remove our transgressions from us. I'm grateful you're here tonight. And I'm grateful about the Resurrection Sunday. I want to remind you, Sunday, there's going to be a service at 9.30 and 11.15. They're going to both be the same about an hour. If you come at 10, you won't get a seat. Okay, so think, come a little early, all of you regulars especially, and you know, park out yonder if you can and make room. Make sure that tonight before you go, you, you uh, greet a couple of people, hug a couple of people, love on a couple of people, okay? God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.